Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Sam and Sam Says, and today I'm beyond happy to welcome my good friend, State Representative LaShawn Ford, to talk about the importance of opioid and heroin overdose prevention and start to talk about preparing for redetermination here in Illinois. Oh my goodness, it's good to be with you, Sam. And um, Sam Says, so I listen. And so I hope everyone listens to um, Sam because I, I got to tell you, it's been such an honor to work with you in Springfield and watch you um, teach members and teach um, really the state about this Medicaid uh, transformation that we've been in since President Obama. Oh, you are too kind. And for our listeners who don't know, I've been working with Representative Ford for 15 years, um, and it has been an amazing journey. We really, I think, started it in earnest working together to expand Medicaid. Yeah. Um, and now we are tr- working together to strengthen it, making sure people can maintain their coverage, making sure people know about the services that they, it covers, a big one being opioid uh, overdose prevention and treatment. And so that is why we are you know, really here today. And we just attended an event, um, your event that you sort of convened with the West and South Side Heroin Overdose, um, or sorry, Heroin and Opioid Task Forces. Um, and it had providers, community-based organizations, industry partners, and members of the community, like grassroots members out there who are saving lives every day if you will, that are out in the community, but also to really highlight the importance of redetermination that we start here in Illinois in May. Crucial work of the task force and overdose prevention and the work that you've been doing. Well, Sam, you know, yeah, we just had that um, that meeting at Malcolm X College uh, with the West and South Side uh, Heroin Opioid Task Forces, but we have to also do a little reverse and talk about the um, meeting that we had with the behavioral health um, community and the experts. So we've been on a very um, productive, I would say, um, campaign to sound the alarm about redetermination and making sure that people have access to um, insurance. And um, the West Side and um, South Side Opioid Task Force, you know, we started that back in 2016. 2016, and we brought together um, people in this task force, CBOs, the community-based organizations, government entities, healthcare providers, and people with lived experiences to make sure that we um, sound alarm about the rise and illegal drugs on the South and West side and the people that are dying from illegal drugs and to increase the supportive services for persons who use drugs, increase um, overdose response and integrate mental health and substance use disorder treatment and recovery for um, families. And so we have done a great job working with people implementing and coordinating collaborative best um, practices for the best outcomes. I'm so glad that you brought us back to that meeting with behavioral health providers um, last month. And I've been in my role for 10 years. 
And what I will say is it was truly one of the most productive meetings we've had with the provider community. And I think part of that really was that you set the tone of saying, we, you all have shared goals. You all are here to improve the Medicaid program, to uh, serve Medicaid members, and to ensure that uh, folks have insurance, folks have coverage, and there's a lot going on. There's redeterminations, and you guys got to work together. And we were there all for hours, representative, really talking about what we can do together and in the behavioral health space and, and the MCO space and our shared goals. And I just don't know that we have been able to have a meeting like that really before your leadership and really stepping in to have us focus on what's most important. Yeah. And, you know, the cooperation and the ability for us to work together and that, you know, what happens, relationships are good and old relationships are even better because they are trusted relationships. And so helping um, you helping pull these groups together because you and I both knew that we know that Medicaid is something good in Illinois and that we don't want people to be without insurance. So we trust one another and we, um, because of the relationship of working together for so long, we were able to pull together a collaborative of all the MCOs and behavioral health um, um, providers and to move on, we've even been able to pull together people from the substance use uh, disorder community um, through the task forces. So I think that there's no way we, as members of the General Assembly and the public, could look at this situation when we talk about Medicaid and not capitalize on the good that it provides to our state. There's no doubt that we have to work on improving it, but we can't let the, uh, what is it, the uh, perfect be the enemy of good. There's so much good that we have to capitalize on all while working to perfect it. And, and Medicaid, you know, is insurance. That's what you were saying at the event last week, that, that, and that you know, folks with commercial insurance, private insurance would never, ever want to lose their coverage. And the same really should be true for Medicaid members. I mean, you can have, just like I have Blue Cross Blue Shield on the commercial side, now in the Medicaid space, you can have Blue Cross or you can have Aetna or Humana or Meridian or Molina or County Care, and you really do have full comprehensive coverage, and it's amazing coverage. In Illinois, we have what I would say is one of the best benefit packages, thanks in part to leadership like yours, Representative Ford, of really pushing the state forward and ensuring that we're caring for our most vulnerable uh, citizens in a meaningful way. And so as we really think about redetermination and making sure that we keep that coverage, I just keep thinking of this Urban Institute study that said that 60% of Medicaid members don't even know this change is coming and that what they'll need to do to um, maintain their insurance. And so it's on all of us, on behavioral health providers, on substance use disorder treatment providers, on MCOs, on the state, on legislators, on hospitals and nursing homes and FQHCs to rally together to make sure that the people we are all here to serve don't lose their health insurance because of paperwork. 
Uh, because of paperwork, simple paperwork. And you know what? I think that you named all of the groups. I, I would say that part of the care for our clients is to make sure that that paperwork is complete. Because guess what? If that paperwork is not complete, it's going to impact budgets. And so that means that substance use providers, mental health care providers, um, um, the providers from the hospital safety nets and the uh, H, what is FQACs, all are going to be impacted if they don't come together and provide this um, extra knowledge to their clients. And, you know, Sam, I, I have never, ever heard a Medicaid uh, client complain about their benefit. Everyone that has Medicaid, they get the care that they need. And I'm telling you, the only the only time I've ever heard um, a Medicaid client complain, it's in the same that I hear a private insurer that they might have to get referrals. So it's the same thing. And so I think that when we look at the benefits of having Medicaid insurance, it's the same benefit as having a private uh, insurance uh, coverage for the most part. And we have to remember that President Obama, as we talked about, fought very hard to make sure that we got to this point in this nation. And of course, America isn't perfect, neither is the Affordable Care Act, but we're closer to perfection than we were. And people now have something that they could turn to, to deal with preventative care and to um, deal with ongoing treatments. And imagine losing it because of what you said, paperwork. That would be devastating. In my opinion, I said it, this could be doomsday for some people and we can't let that happen. No, we can't. And I, I think you're absolutely right. The medic I've not I rarely hear um complaints from a Medicaid member about the Medicaid benefit, the care they receive. Um, you know, I I receive questions of help. You know, how do I, you know, how do I figure this out? Because healthcare is complicated. I mean, we, you know, I I'll be honest, I work in healthcare, I've been in healthcare for 15 years, and every once in a while I run into something where I reach out to somebody to say, oh my gosh. How do I handle this? And, you know, it is, it, we need help navigating it from time to time. And that's what, you know, I think is all of our jobs is how do we help these Medicaid members navigate that? And right now, the biggest hurdle that they're all going to have to navigate is that redetermination paperwork. But, and, and while it is a Herculean task, I do know that we're up for it. I do know that there are passionate, committed folks who are going to do everything that they can to make sure that folks don't just lose coverage because of paperwork. And if they lose coverage because they just, they're no longer eligible, they've gotten raises, they've gotten promotions, their, their life situation has improved, then the federal government has made some great improvements as well, where they're now allowing us as, as health plans and as a state to do warm handoffs to the exchange, again, authorized under the Affordable Care Act to, uh, to do a warm handoff now that they are eligible for the exchange and subsidies under the exchange. And so we are 
work, hoping to work together, it's critical and most important from my perspective that we make sure our neighbors, our family members, our community maintains coverage. The eligibility levels changed. Um, so um, is it at the same level or did people, did the eligibility level change? So if you qualified and you maintain that same level of income, will you qualify again or did, did it become more difficult to uh, be eligible? So in Illinois, we have not changed anything. So for uh, seniors and people with disabilities, it's at 100% of the federal poverty level. For uh, families and adults, so children and adults, um, it's at 138% of the federal poverty level. And then for, or sorry, for for adults, whether you're a parent or not, it's at 138% of the federal poverty level. And then for children, it's at 300% of the federal poverty level. And here's the thing, Representative, because of inflation, those numbers have actually gone up in terms of the, you know, what it means for your salary. Great. And, and you know, you and I, we were talking with your team also about not only are we um, responsible for making sure that we help people redetermine, but we also continue our campaign to make sure that those that are eligible that have not enrolled become covered. So this is a dual campaign to grow the number of people that's eligible in the pool and to make sure that we redetermine folks in, um, in our Medicaid program. And we say it all the time on this podcast, the largest group of individuals in Illinois without insurance coverage are eligible for Medicaid and just not enrolled. So I, my hope is that as we do this outreach, as we reach folks who are currently on Medicaid, as we're talking about it so much and the wonderful value that it brings to our state, to our community, to our neighbors, our family, that we bring folks in. And as the state, you know, legislatively, folks are talking about down in Springfield, having a state-based exchange, a state-based marketplace, and really you know, strengthening that outreach effort year over year. I think that's going to bring more folks in too, because we can't, you know, progress is iterative and we've made great progress. You know, when we expanded Medicaid as authorized under the Affordable Care Act, that was great progress. But what we've not done in Illinois is we've not sat on our laurels and just said, we did something really good and now we're done. We just keep moving forward and keep bringing folks in, expanding coverage, strengthening the coverage, bringing more providers in to serve the most vulnerable folks. And I think we have to do that um, every day, collectively through partnership um, to continue to improve. Like you said, we are not perfect. We are not a perfect state. We're not a perfect country. The Affordable Care Act isn't perfect but it's better than it was, and it is our collective responsibility to continue that progress. So, Sam, is there a, a basic form that everyone can use right now, or is is a different form for different um, families? So, is it just one form? A so, for for applying for, for Medicaid, oh, for redetermination. So, it, you will receive a specific form based off the information that the state already has. 
on you. So you will receive a specific form and the idea there is that it makes it simpler for you to complete. But by and large, there are four types of forms. One form is going to be if you, if the state was able to receive enough information about you online um, through, you know, their databases that you don't need to send anything in. And so they're just going to send you a renewal determination. And about 30 to 40% of people are going to receive that. And that's great. That means you don't have to do anything. You maintain coverage. The second form is just your Medicaid eligibility redetermination form. It's pretty straightforward. We're going to have... Um, a single form of it on our website, imhip.org, and we're going to have bubbles that really call out, like, this is what you put here, this is what here, so that providers and legislators can see it um, and use it for, uh, you know, helping Medicaid members. So that's that form. Then there's a form for if you're receiving Medicaid and SNAP, which is, a you know, the food benefit. And so if you have that, if you have those two benefits, are, we don't lose coverage there as much. The form is longer, but I, I think you get more assistance from DHS in filling out that form. And then the last form is around uh, it for receiving long-term care benefits, and there are some assets um, and other stuff that they, you know, need to look at for long-term care. But by and large, what we're really talking about is the standard redetermination form. And that's the, what the majority of people are going to receive. How does it roll out? I mean, there's going to be sections. Is it going to be alphabetical order? Who's getting them when? That's so, what I Yeah, great, great question, Representative. So you will get them at approximately the same month when, that you enrolled in Medicaid. So if you enrolled in Medicaid, and here's where it gets tricky, because how many people know when they enrolled in Medicaid? So if you enrolled in Medicaid in August, three years ago, you should be up for redetermination in August this year. However, we don't anticipate that people are going to remember when they enrolled. So if you don't know when your date is, ask either your health plan, your provider, your DHS office, or get online onto your Manage My Case account, and you will find out when that redetermination for you is due. You'll see your month on online, or your health plan can tell you, your doctor's office can tell you. And when you see that, my recommendation would really be, you know, put a reminder in your yeah. calendar yeah. And, and just know that it's due, you know, it it's... And on Medi, so if a provider or a health plan, and so your your letter will be sent a month before your paperwork is due. Oh, so that's you, good. So you got a yeah, month to you uh, have a month, and and you can mail it in. You can um, do it online, which is what we really recommend. Set up a manage my case. We'll have information on how to set up a manage my case account, or you can even just call the DHS call center, and you can do it in, on over the phone. So. You know, if you have a Manage My Case account and you have access to do it online, that's what we're recommending. I mean, why, why, why do we um, make, is there, I mean, I know this is honesty. I mean, why do we force this redetermination on people when, isn't there a system where um, people are no longer, they're working now, so they automatically um, are off of um, Medicaid and they're off of SNAP? 
it doesn't it rolls off like that why do we have to do redetermination so it is a federal requirement now some states oregon washington new york are looking at are there ways um where they can get waivers from the federal government to not do determinations every year maybe do redeterminations every two years that coverage to allow kids and i think this is amazing for kids zero to five um, you have coverage that whole time period. You don't have to go to re through redetermination for those those years. Um, so you're going to maintain your coverage as a, as a young child. And then for adults, um, it's two years in Oregon and New York. So every two years. So again, maintaining that coverage. The other thing that we're looking at and trying to sort of understand um, is other states have a larger percentage of what's called that ex parte redetermination. I just think of it as automatic redetermination, although they would tell me it's not automatic. It's just that you can do it without paperwork. And some states go up to like 70%. And so what we would like to continue to sort of look at and research is how can we be better and increase that ex parte percentage to reduce that burden? I would like redetermination to feel a lot like how open enrollment feels for you and I representative you know, you get a letter, basically, you know, do you want to change anything? No, I don't want to change anything. Okay, I still have my coverage, right? Like, it's a really simple process for folks that have private insurance, by and large. And I wish that it was the same for Medicaid. And so we're looking at what are other states doing? What flexibilities are the federal government giving them? You know, what can we do to strengthen our system and remove barriers for people? Because, that will strengthen the program overall. Yeah, I'm I'm all in as a partner and advocate to help strengthen it and working with you and your team to, um, you know, lead the nation. I mean, if other states could do it, then we can too. What's the problem with getting a waiver? Does it take time to apply for it or something? I mean, I don't know why haven't we applied for the waiver? Well, they were just approved um, you know, I want to say a few months ago. So this is a new flexibility. We've never seen the federal government do that. I don't know if HFS is looking at that. I'm sure they are. They are looking at other waivers. Um, but it is something I do think, especially even for this time period, as we sort of get through this, you know, challenging time of, you know, if we didn't have to redetermine young kids, if we if we extended the time frame that we looked to two years, would that provide a balance? Um, and and sort of avoid this this pressure in a really tight time frame. You know, would it sort of smooth everything out? And I think it could. So I do think that there are um, legislative leaders and, and the administration, hopefully, looking at that um, to think about how can we improve this overall. But I still believe that people redetermine all the time when they have to when they are applying for. Food stamps, when mm -hmm. they are applying for Medicaid, and then when they get a job, they're automatically rolling off. We don't see enough people rolling off. Do we really believe that people are working, uh, working a job, and still getting Medicaid? Is that what we're afraid of? Well, so for this time, we have not rolled anyone off, even if we know their situation has changed oh. for three years. So normally you're right. Like we, you know, there's that that roll off if, if something sort of triggers the system to say, oh, this person's no longer eligible. 
but we haven't been able to do that for three years. So we do know we absolutely have people right now that are on the program that aren't eligible because they've gotten a raise or they've moved out of state or, you know, whatever it may be. So we know that's the case. The percentage of that, you know, I, we don't know that exactly. And I, what we always worry about is obviously if you're not eligible, we want you to be on a, you know, a, we want you off of Medicaid because we want to maintain Medicaid for those who need it. But what we don't want to do is catch all these people who are eligible yeah. just because of paperwork. And so yeah. how do we, how do we do this a little bit smarter? How do we make it a little bit easier? How do we use technology? And I think those are the things um, that we got to figure out as a state of how do we take lessons we're going to learn from the next year, two years, um, and improve the system overall. Um, and I, I'm so grateful that you will be there, I think, to help champion those conversations because we've got to make it easier for folks so that there's more trust in the system. Yeah, did, did, I think the governor's office and DHS, they've started some campaign um, to do this. I, I, you know, I don't know if it's, they put out RFPs or, or something for people to um, join in the campaign or they're doing something within the department. But I did receive the press release and some um, social media posts that I've been sharing with, um, with the community. Yes, this is a big deal. They're spending $8 million to do a, a public awareness campaign on redeterminations um, and, and grassroots and, and paid media and, and, re and social media. Um, and we'll get all the details. They have a vendor, but I don't think we have all the details yet. But it is going to be a pretty big campaign. I don't think we've seen anything this size around redetermination. So I do know everyone's working on it. Um, and trying to learn best practices. And we're going to learn from other states. We're going to, you know, we're probably going to have to tinker with this as we go through it. But I do think everybody's goal is the same. Keep folks who are eligible covered. That's what I want to do. I'm on the bandwagon for keeping people that are eligible insured and getting people that are eligible insured. No matter what, Illinois has got to be a healthy state. And I'm a fan of uh, people being able to go to a doctor. That's exactly right. Oh, Representative Ford, I just want to underscore that. Illinois has got to be a healthy state, and we need folks to be able to go to doctors to achieve that. So thank you, thank you, thank you for not only joining me today, but for your continued leadership and commitment to the Medicaid program, to coverage, to moving the state forward. We are so lucky to have you down in Springfield. I'm so lucky for my long friendship with you. And I, I hope that you will come back and join us to talk about your continued success and the work that you're doing to strengthen the Medicaid program. Well, thank you so very much. And I look forward to the next time I'm invited. All right, wonderful. Thank you so much, Representative. And to our listeners, to learn more about I'm Hip and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one today, we encourage you to visit our website at imhip.org. And of course, don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I'm Samantha Olds Fry, the Sam and Sam says, thanks for joining us. And until next time, be well and stay safe.